a state trooper was cruising on I-5 late one night near Olympia when he noticed a car in the fast lane that was crawling at a snail's pace. It was barely moving. It was an accident waiting to happen. So the trooper pulled the car over to see if they needed assistance. When the trooper approached the car, he noticed a a short elderly man behind the steering wheel. The trooper asked the man why he was driving so slowly, to which the man pointed to the blue sign on the side of the road and said, it says five. The trooper shook his head in amazement and explained that five is the number of the highway not the speed limit. And then the trooper happened to glance in the back seat and notice two very dazed and confused passengers gripping the back of the seats in terror. The trooper asked the two, Are you okay? To which one replied, Yes, but give us a moment. We just got off Highway 101. (laughs) This, This morning, I would like to share another interesting road story. A story involving two men on a seven-mile road who were also dazed and confused over the recent events they had just experienced. Our story takes place on Easter Sunday, the very first Easter Sunday, where two men were walking from Jerusalem toward their village called Emmaus, which was about a seven-mile walk. Now, these two men weren't any of the famous apostles like, like Peter and James and John. They were just simple, common men who had followed Jesus. One was named Cleopas, but we're not given the name of the other. We are told that as they walked along the road, they talked and argued about the recent events during the last few days. I imagine they talked about what they had witnessed just a week prior as they watched Jesus ride into Jerusalem on a young donkey for the Passover celebration. 
People were laying their coats and palm branches on the road, rolling out the red carpet for him. And they were shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. It was amazing and exciting for many believed he was the king who had come to establish his kingdom. Many thought he had come to bring peace to a troubled land. He had come to kick out the Romans. He had come to make all things right. But now, it would seem they were all wrong. Because just a few days ago, on Friday, Jesus was beaten to a pulp and executed on a Roman cross between two criminals. Jesus is dead. And their hopes and their dreams died with him. How could this happen to Jesus? This was the Jesus who gave sight to the blind, opened the ears of the deaf, and caused the lame to walk. This was the same Jesus who could calm a storm with a word. He even walked on water. This was the Jesus who fed thousands of people with next to nothing. This is the same Jesus who had earlier raised Lazarus from the dead. How could Jesus do all of that but not save himself. They were dazed and confused. And on top of that, the great movement that Jesus started, which changed the lives of so many people, appears to be over. All the apostles who had walked with Jesus are in hiding. They've thrown in the towel. They saw what happened to Jesus. They saw what happened to their fearless leader. And now they know they have targets on their backs. They are in witness protection. Hiding in fear for their lives because they don't want to suffer the same fate as Jesus. So Jesus is dead. And so is 
the movement he started. It's all over. How could this have happened? Down the road, these two men walk towards Emmaus. Engaged in this very emotional conversation, disillusioned and discouraged and defeated, struggling with questions without answers, wondering what to do next. And suddenly, a stranger joins them going in the same direction. This stranger is Jesus. But they don't know it. They don't know it. They are being kept from recognizing him until they are ready. So it's at this point, I want you to find this story in your Bible. Turn to Luke chapter 24, verse 17. Luke 24, verse 17. It's the very last chapter in Luke. And it should be on the board behind me. Okay. And he, he is Jesus, and he said to them, What are the words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. In the middle of their conversation, Jesus asked these two men a very natural question. A question Jesus already knows the answers to. Essentially, Jesus asked them, what are you talking about? And it stopped these men in their tracks. They stood there looking at Jesus And their answer was written all over their face. It was sadness and grief. Because Jesus, the one they loved, and the one who loved them, is gone. Then beginning with verse 18, they speak to this unknown stranger. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? 
And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also, some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning, they did not find his body. They came saying that those who had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also said. But him, they did not see. Cleopas was amazed that someone could have been in Jerusalem during the last couple of days and had not heard the news. To which Jesus replies, what news? These two must have thought this stranger was new in town or maybe crawled out of a cave or something because it's already gone viral, so to speak. And everyone knows what happened to Jesus. So these two men go on to describe Jesus, who ironically is standing right in front of them. If you think about it, it's somewhat comical. But on a serious note, it reminds us that Jesus is much closer than we might think. Yes, there may be those times when he seems like he is a million miles away. And yes, there may be those moments where we might question if he is truly present in our lives or we may wonder if he is really working on our behalf. But the truth is, he walks with us. Especially when we think we are walking alone. Remember, it was Jesus who said at the very end of Matthew's gospel, I am always with you, even to the end of the age. We may not always recognize Jesus. And we may wonder where He is and what what He is doing when certain things happen in our lives. But know this. In those times when we think Jesus is the farthest away, those are the times He is actually closer than we might think. Anyway, Jesus patiently listens to these two men while they tell him what he already knows. These two men lay out the facts and they describe Jesus. Again, he's just standing right there. They describe Jesus as a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people. Jesus was holy 
and righteous. He performed countless numbers of miracles. He was perfect in all His ways, sinless, and yet these two were baffled that it was their own religious leaders who put Jesus to death. The Jewish leaders who were supposed to be men of God, they accused Jesus falsely and arrested Him. They took Jesus to the Roman authorities and the Romans carried out the execution that the religious leaders demanded. Jesus was crucified for all to see. It was public. A horribly violent spectacle. The two continued and said, we were hoping that it was Jesus who was going to redeem Israel. From their perspective, they expected Jesus to establish his earthly kingdom right then and there. And to set his people free. They had hoped Jesus would be the one who would deliver Israel from its Roman captors and make everything right for God's people. That was their expectation of Jesus. That's what they expected the Messiah to do on their behalf. But when that didn't happen, when he was crucified, when their hopes and their dreams were dashed on a cross, it appeared that death had won the victory. And it was all over but the crying. And if that wasn't bad enough, to pour salt on an open wound. Early that morning, they heard news from some women that the tomb where Jesus was laid was now empty. His body was missing. Who would do such a thing? The women who went to the tomb told the apostles. Some angels told them he was alive. But everyone knows that's crazy talk. Who in their right mind would believe that? No one. Yes, a few of the apostles did run to the tomb and verified that the body of Jesus was in fact missing. But no one could figure out what happened to him. 
So as far as these two men can tell, Jesus is dead. The movement He started is dead. And His dead body is gone. No one can seem to find Jesus. Even though we know Jesus found them. To them, He is only a stranger. And now, the stranger speaks. Beginning with verse 25. And He, referring to Jesus, said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into His glory? Then beginning with Moses, with all and with all the prophets, He explained to them the things concerning Himself in all the Scriptures. When they had finished speaking about all their dashed hopes and dreams, Jesus had something to say to them. He calls them foolish men and slow of heart to believe. Meaning, they should have known what God's Word had said about the Messiah. They should have known that before there was a crown of glory, there would be a cross. This was all part of God's plan spelled out in the Old Testament. Their scriptures. A plan that clearly spoke of His suffering. They should have known it. They should have believed it. And so Jesus leads them through the Old Testament and explains what it says about Himself. So without identifying who He was, Jesus began to point out portions of Scripture that referred to Himself. Specifically, those portions that speak about His suffering. We're told that Jesus began with Moses, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. And maybe, I'm just guessing... Maybe he started with Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, which reads, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. This is the first gospel message given immediately 
after sin entered the world. In context, Satan deceived Eve. And Adam was knowingly disobedient. And God pronounced, as a result, there would be an ongoing battle between good and evil. And in this battle, Satan would eventually wound the seed of the woman. But in the end, the seed of the woman will crush Satan. And evil will be vanquished. Jesus may have told them, I don't know, Jesus may have told them the Messiah is the seed of the woman who suffered on the cross. But that won't be the end. For he will crush Satan. Maybe Jesus explained that passage to them. Or maybe he made reference to Psalm chapter 22. I'll read a portion of it for you, beginning with verse 14. Listen to this. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look. They stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. That was written 1,000 years before Jesus was crucified. And it's a clear description of our Lord's dying thoughts. A clear description of our Lord's dying thoughts during the saddest hours of His life on a Roman cross. Which had just occurred a few days prior to this. Then I have to believe that Jesus took these two men through Isaiah chapter 53. I have to believe that. Which was written 700 years before he was crucified. 700 years. I'm going to read this from the New New International Version, okay? And it says, Who has believed our message And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. 
He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to Him. Nothing in His appearance that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Surely, he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet He did not open His mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before His shearers is silent... So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes His life an offering for sin, He will see His offspring and prolong His days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in His hand. After He has suffered, He will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. And he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. And he will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That was a vivid picture 
of Jesus. The Messiah who would suffer and die for the sins of a fallen people who had rejected God. All of us have gone astray. In our sinful rebellion, all of us chose to go our own way. And as a consequence, there was a heavy price to pay. A death penalty. But God laid this penalty on Jesus. He became a guilt offering. Suffering and dying for the sins of the guilty so that the guilty might go free and enter into a life-changing relationship with the risen Savior. So maybe Jesus shared these passages with these two men. Maybe he shared others. And there were many others he could have shared. But whatever he shared, he connected the dots and explained that Scripture clearly laid out God's plan to save a lost people. Jesus assured them that what had happened wasn't unexpected. In reality, the cross was part of God's plan all along. To make a way for salvation. It had to happen that way. Jesus had to die so that others may live. The cross had to come before the crown. But they were slow to believe it. As Jesus shared all these things before they knew it, they came to the end of their seven-mile walk. And we are told, beginning with verse 28. And they approached the village where they were going. And he, referring to Jesus, acted as though he were going further. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. These two men had walked with Jesus and listened to him. And when they thought that he would continue on alone, they asked Jesus to come home with them. Remember, they still don't know who he is. To them, 
Jesus is a stranger who seems to know everything there is to know about Scripture. That's what they know. And did you notice that Jesus pretended as if he was going to continue on without them? Was Jesus planning on leaving them in their doubt before revealing himself? I don't think so. Instead, it seems that Jesus wanted to give them an opportunity to invite him in. And fortunately for them, that's what they did. And here's what happened beginning in verse 30. When he, referring to Jesus, had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road? While he was explaining the scriptures to us? We're told that Jesus reclined at the table with these men. And acting like the host... He's acting like the host. Jesus took some bread, blessed it with prayer, and began to share it with them. And it was then they realized the stranger who had been walking with with them all alone was in fact none other than Jesus. Maybe at the table... They noticed the the nail marks as he passed out the bread. Maybe it was the personal way Jesus prayed to the Father that gave him away. Or maybe it was the way he broke the bread that opened their eyes. How they came to recognize Jesus were not told. But as, as soon as they did, poof. He vanished from their physical sight. What a roller coaster ride for these two men. They knew Jesus had been crucified and died on Friday. They knew the apostles were in hiding in fear and concluded the movement that Jesus started was dead as well. Then on Easter Sunday, that very morning, they heard his body was gone. Their hopes and their dreams were dashed. But at the end of their seven-mile walk, everything changed. Everything. They now know the truth. Jesus is alive, and they got to tell 
somebody. Then beginning with verse 33, we are told, And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. These two men immediately leave Emmaus and bolted back to Jerusalem in the dark to tell the apostles and others who were with them what had just happened. These two men had walked and talked with Jesus and by the time they got back to Jerusalem to tell somebody about it, Peter has seen the risen Savior as well. And this was only the beginning. For they would all see Him. This experience with the risen Savior would dramatically change their lives. So much so that the apostles, think about this, the apostles would come out of hiding. They would come out of hiding and flood the streets with the good news about Jesus without any fear. No fear. Jesus is alive and the movement He started will now thrive. For me, that was a great Easter story. And to draw this this story to an end, I want to say this. Two men had a life-changing experience with Jesus because they opened their minds to the truth about Him found in God's Word. As Jesus spoke to them, taking Scripture and connecting the dots to the events that they had experienced, they knew in their hearts they were hearing the truth. It burned in them. And they responded to the truth by seizing the moment and inviting Jesus into their home, into their lives. And from that point on, their lives would never be the same. Maybe you are here this morning, dazed and confused by the circumstances of your own life. And maybe like these two men, you are asking, what happened to Jesus? Or better yet, 
Where is Jesus when I need Him? Yes, I will admit, there are those times when Jesus seems far away. Yet in reality, He is closer than you might think. And maybe you need to take your own seven-mile walk with Jesus. Believing the truth about Him found in God's Word. Nailing it down in your heart and then by faith responding to it. For if you do, if you do, like these two men, you will be closer to learning something about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth found in your word. Thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he willingly and voluntarily offered up his life on our behalf so that we might be made right with you. I thank you that he died on a cross for our sins. And then he rose again to prove he was who he said he was. And to show that his sacrifice was a sufficient payment for our sin. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray even now that you would move among us. Even now, Father. I just pray, Lord, that the truth of your word would just sink in deep into our hearts. That we would be changed. And that we would carry your message, carry your love outside these walls to a lost and dying world. May you be honored and glorified. May you be honored and glorified. For you are worthy. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know, maybe our own seven-mile walk with the Lord needs to start here and now. And just as the Lord showed, it starts with 
God's Word. I find no clearer word than a passage you clearly know. For God so loved the world. You know this. For God so loved the world. That's you and me. That He gave His only begotten Son. He did that. And that whosoever would believe in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a, that's a simple verse, but it's deep. Very deep passage. But one thing it tells me about God's purpose for us. God's purpose is that we would experience eternal life. That's His purpose. That we would enter into a relationship with Him that would be forever. And eternal life means a few things. It means we can have a full and meaningful life here and now. It does not mean it's a life without problems. But it can be full and meaningful. But also when we leave this place, we will be with Him. That's His purpose. That's what He desires for each and every one of us. That's His purpose. Unfortunately, we have a problem. We have a problem. It's a sin problem. Just as I read in Isaiah, we want to do our own thing in our own way with whomever we want to do it with. We are prone to go astray. We are prone to go with all of us. We will naturally do that. It's in our nature to reject and rebel against God for all of us. And there's a penalty. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's a separation from God. And you've heard me say many times, God loves us, right? He does. He does love us. But He's also a holy and just God. Meaning, He can't put on blinders when it comes to our sin. He can't look the other way when it comes to our sin. He can't ignore it. Because He is holy and just, He has to punish it. He has to. If He does not, He ceases to be holy and just. He has to punish it. But He's loving. But He's holy. What does He do? Even though we were yet sinners, what are we told? Christ died for us, the ungodly. God was holy and just because He punished sin. He had to. But He loved us. And so what did He do? He put 
our punishment, our consequences on His Son who had committed no sin. Jesus paid the sin debt He did not owe because we had a sin debt we could not pay. He took it all. Does that make sense? He took it all. God had a purpose. Eternal life. We got a problem. It's sin. God sent the remedy. It was Jesus Christ. He was the remedy. And we have a response. We repent of our sin. We know in our hearts if we're going the wrong way. And He asks us to turn and go towards Him. We place our faith in Jesus. We trust Him. We trust what He says. We trust that He will do what He do. We trust that His sacrifice was sufficient and pleased the Father. That His payment on the cross was enough for my sin. And then we surrender to Him as Lord. Paul says, I love this. Paul says, For whosoever, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise. That is a promise. That's a seven-mile walk promise. That's a promise you've got to nail it down. And then you respond to it. Maybe you're here this morning. And if you're honest, you can admit, I know about Jesus. I've heard about him, but I don't have a relationship with him, and that's what I want. Maybe there's, this morning there's this tug of war going on inside your heart. Even as I speak, there's a tug of war. And the Lord's telling you, He's, he's telling the truth. He's telling the truth. But the enemy, nah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I experienced that. I told you the truth. We have to respond to it. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would love to introduce you to Him. Just done it. Just call upon the Lord. Lord, I thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I accept your payment for my sin. I want to be made right with God, with you. Come into my heart. Come into my heart. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved.
Maybe you're looking for a church home. We'd love to have you. Or maybe there's something else going on and you need some prayer. I'd love to pray with you. However the Lord leads you this morning, just like those two guys who responded, I ask you to do the same. Just respond in obedience. It doesn't matter who's here. This is about you. Just respond in obedience. Like that. Thank you again. I want to thank you so much for being here um, this morning. I, I do hope it was a, a blessing uh, to you. And uh, let me pray for our, our offering this morning. And just uh, just to let people know, um, in the back near the door, uh, that's where our offering baskets are. So, and again, we're not having a lunch today. So, uh, enjoy enjoy this time uh, with your with your families, and hopefully we'll see you uh, next week as we get back into uh, Revelation. I love that song. He is, he is worthy. He is worthy. Let me, let me pray. Father, I thank you so much for, for drawing us here today. I just pray, Lord God, that, that your words would just continue to, to percolate and just permeate through our bodies. Father, help us to be the kind of people you desire us to be. Thank you, Lord God, for giving us an opportunity to worship you, for you, in fact, are worthy. Father, I pray, Lord, for our, our offering this morning and, and those gifts and those tithes that are, that are gathered. Help us, Father, as a church, to use your money wisely, for it is your money. Father, bless those who give. Uh, I pray, Lord God, it would be done cheerfully. And Father, I thank you for who you are and what you do. May you be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.